Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Guma, tackling your stock-related questions this evening. Uh, Alex Days from Umtombo Wealth and Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks, gentlemen, for your time. I keep reading headlines. Um, bear market rally could have more legs Analyst predicts uh, market bottom. I mean, is this the markets just trying to grab onto any kind of furniture that they can hang onto in a dark room? Rowan? Yeah, I think the markets are very headline-driven at the moment. What we're seeing is quite a lot of short-termism, looking at um, short-term data points, uh, be it the latest uh, US CPI print, uh, or be it uh, uh, new data coming out of uh, the UK or changes in policy there. So, and as you pointed out, in a bear market, you do see these quite sharp rallies where people are looking for the bottom. So I think the sort of very short-term optimism that we've seen in the last two days is a bit of that, you know, will the uh, central banks uh, pause um, as they, you know, pour cold water on the, the economy or will they continue to, to hike and tighten uh, to control inflation? So I think we're going to continue to see that narrative play out in markets and amongst commentators, we still think there's still a lot of downside that uh, the Fed isn't going to be pausing and there's a little bit of misplaced optimism right now, but it's going to just lurch from sort of headline to headline in the short term. Yeah. Let's go to the UK, Alex. And we've seen that turnaround there with the new finance minister, Jeremy Hunt, reversing most of those tax cuts that were announced at the mini budget. Does this U-turn lead to any kind of certainty or does it lead to more uncertainty? Well, I think if you take the UK politics over the last, call it six years, I mean, anything, there's no certainty really. And there's mm. been, you know, just one, one scandal after others and it's been disappointing to say the least. So I, I don't think you can see this reversal. Um, the fact that the finance minister has resigned this change in um, stance and so forth. I think the fact of the matter is the Conservative Party is under pressure. They have been under pressure for quite some time. Luckily for them, they also have a Labour Party, which is very weak. But considering what's happening over the last couple of years, they might be under pressure coming in the next, in next election. But be that as may, um, at this particular moment, I think market confidence are very, very low. And it's also a function of the UK economy, where business and confidence as well as um, individual consumer confidence are at record lows. And the economy is, quite frankly, struggling with stagflation. And you've got all these other problems that, we, that we're well aware of. So... Um, I think it's they do need some form of stru structural reform to try to boost economic growth, um, but also you, you need to be cognizant of how you want to fund it. You know, so you can't, for example, just reduce um, taxes of fund growth. You have to fund your initiative somehow, and I think that's one main reason why most of the budget was rejected by the market. And you have to have a, a closer cooperation, I guess, between fiscal and monetary policy mm. to try to kickstart the economy. Um, we did have a Bloomberg interview just before we went into Stockwatch and the commentator there was saying that the pessimism in the UK has been priced in. I'm just wondering from your side, Rowan, do you think that the turnaround in the UK's fiscal policy, so does that mean that it does nothing for the long-term damage that has been caused already? 
No, I think unfortunately there has been damage done and uh, what we've seen is uh, the bond yields sort of set uh, slightly higher and the markets hate uncertainty and what you've got here is even if um, they've reversed the policy direction, they've certainly increased the uncertainty of uh, how they set policy, how they make decisions and, you know, what is to come in the future. So uh, that leads to structurally higher um, interest rates and uh, increased costs uh, burden to to the to the government in the form of higher interest payments, and uh, so I think it'll take a while for uh, markets to regain confidence. They have to see delivery. They have to see sort of actual action being taken against sort of policy direction. So I think uh, it remains to be seen. But there's there's a lot of damage to be undone. Um, U.S. earnings, um, the markets are, have been pretty high off of that. Um, Alex, I just want to know from you, I mean, does that kind of change or, or shift the dial for you on, in terms of how you're looking at the US's, U.S.'s economy right now? Or is it maybe too soon to tell, considering that the earnings that have come out um, that have surprised the upside so far are coming from the banks, and we do know that the financials have actually performed quite well during this period yeah so obviously financials or the bank specifically are benefiting from high interest rates right so we're seeing very strong net interest um, income coming through there which is you know because of high interest rates so that makes intuitively sense um also if you look at earnings in general you have to obviously break it down according to sectors some sectors will be under pressure others will be doing better like the banks and also you have to look down which companies are purely US-based and to get a sense of how the overall economy is doing. So, for example, when you get the Beige book, that gives you a good indication what's happening on, on the ground, more of a microeconomic uh, analysis, or when you look at some of the smaller cap businesses. But evidence we've received so far is that the US consumer still remains relatively resilient um, to some extent. So, and we can see that, of course, as well, in the unemployment numbers, et cetera. So, um, but how long that's going to be the case remains to be seen, but... I think for the, for now the U.S. consumer, on on if you've taken majority, yeah. still still looking ready to be strong. Ah, all right. Let's get on to some questions. There's a question here on Old Mutual. What is the panel's view on Old Mutual for a five to ten year view, Rowan? Yeah, so I guess on that very long time horizon, um, does look cheap. Um, unfortunately, the business has sort of uh, been battered quite hard by. By COVID, obviously paid out significant claims. They have seen a significant drop of that, but now we've seen the economy slow down. And uh, I think what you're seeing is some of the core business, the funeral insurance, um, the mass foundation cluster, where they've earned a lot of money in the past, is getting a lot more competitive. Um, Capitec in particular, moving very strongly into that space. Um, uh, some of the lending space as well, they continue to gain market share. So... The competitive environment has increased. The bond yields are also very high, which uh, cost of funding is high. So they do have some structural headwinds, but most of it's reflected in the price. It's trading at quite a discount to its embedded value. And uh, I think they can tighten the screws on costs and basically um, build some market share and, and continue to deliver. You'll probably get the, the returns in, in a lot of it in dividends. It's a very high dividend yield. So 
if you're patient and, and happy with the dividend and be prepared to hold it for five years, I think you will get a decent return from these levels. All right. Uh, on your side, Alex, bullish or bearish on Old Mutual, considering the highly competitive environment? Uh, Rowan mentions that, I mean, there's some players um, that are trying to come into the space uh, from uh, different sectors and also lots of, of growth movements happening uh, in the space. Yeah, I agree with what Rowan has said there. Um, but to be quite honest, uh, Old Mutual has been looking cheap for at least the last decade and a half. Um, you know, obviously, it's very cheap at the moment. And it will mostly be total dividends from a total term perspective. So you probably would need some form of corporate action for them to try to unlock value uh, mm. in Old Mutual to really to re-rate the business. Uh, in my view, I think it's difficult ship to turn around in, in the short term, big complex business and so forth. So you have to, I don't know, look for some way to unlock some value there, try to drive efficiencies and try to, you know, so that the market can actually price at the high rate of some better value because the discount is high due to you know, the assumptions being relatively aggressive, et cetera. Um, also, if you look at insurance industry and SA, oh, most of them are quite attractive. I mean, even a Sunlum at the moment, um, last time I checked, it's about 15 or 20% discount, also to embedded value. And, you know, has got very strong cash earnings, you know, conservative embedded value. That looks quite interesting for me. Um, so I think that sector is under pressure and there are some opportunities, yes. So, but certainly old mutual, not a bad option from a valuation perspective, but I'm struggling to see what a catalyst is going to be to really unlock value uh, uh, over the short term. All right. Quite interesting there. Uh, there's another question on cash build, a counter that released an operational update for the first quarter of the FY23 year. So uh, would you say cash build is expensive looking at its earnings right now, Rowan? Yeah, so this was one of the stocks that benefited uh, handsomely from COVID uh, lockdowns, uh, home improvements, uh, sort of general uh, building activity at the lower end, and that's starting to slow down. So we saw quite a significant uh, slowdown in their sales uh, figures. Um, and uh, I guess the impact that can have on margins and uh, obviously profits uh, remains to be seen. But uh, it, on a trailing PE, yeah, it, it probably looks cheaper than a forward PE because uh, the earnings are going to decline. And uh, so, yeah, I think what we're seeing is where companies uh, produce earnings where they disappoint. And even if the forward numbers or the forward uh, outlook is, is quite disappointing, you see the shares sell off quite heavily on results. So, yeah, I'd be quite cautious and wary there because I think um, earnings disappointment equals uh, share retracement. So you, you just have to be careful. Alex, is cash build all about a consumer story? So if you look at cash build over the last 10 years, other than that COVID period, they've really struggled to grow um, revenue on like-for-like basis and so forth. Had to really all about expansion of stores and a couple of acquisitions, which hasn't really worked. So it's a business that's quite ex-growth just due to the weak economy we have in, in South Africa, a very high competitive market. Um, if compared to Ital Tile's low-end top tier, that business is still doing well in little tile top tier. So it shows you if you do have a, you know, I guess innovative management and so forth, you can actually still grow your businesses. But um, cash built, um, I think the positive side of things, they've got a very strong balance sheet and it's a very cash generative business. So that means they can, you know, buy two, perhaps do share buybacks or pay very high dividends in the meantime to try to boost um, the share price um, in the time being. But I agree with what Ron said. This is a business where revenue is going backwards. Uh, margin is most likely going to go down. It's got low margins, so that means quite high operational, negative operational leverage. So earnings can fall a lot, um, specifically if economic activity remains weak for extended period of time. Mm, all right, I hear you there.
Um, let's talk about Combined Motor Holdings. Uh, they came out with their interim results today. Um, so with a counter like uh, Combined Motor Holdings, uh, do you look more to the current performance or does the outlook make you nervous? Uh, so, yeah, so they seem to have posted uh, good results. I think their headline earnings were up 51%. Um, but also, they did uh, cite some pressure in the used car unit, um, also saying that the outlook doesn't look so so rosy. Uh, Rowan, combined motor holdings? No, it was a phenomenal set of results, and um, it's been interesting that uh, these motor dealerships have been uh, significant beneficiaries sort of longer term also have significant supply side disruptions in the motor industry where the used car prices appreciated quite significantly due to um, constrained supply. And uh, obviously they make stock profits and also buy a higher margins um, on those sales and also on their new car sales. They don't have to discount as much because uh, supply is short. So uh, it's been a very strong tailwind for them and you're seeing it in the margins, which are very healthy, much higher uh, earnings growth than actually turnover growth. Um, so you do have to look quite closely. Those companies have a lower rating. Generally, their earnings are quite cyclical. They are saying there's a lot of uh, healthy demand in the uh, rental side all the way uh, up until April. So that is still uh, looks like it'll deliver earnings. And the more bullish sort of commentators say that as supply increases, so they'll be able to sell more cars and the volume will make up for the margin loss. You have to do, I think, just careful analysis on your forecast. But I think the earnings may be a bit more sustainable here just because they will shift around. But if there are a lot of stock profits in those used car sales, uh, that is likely to be a once-off. So I think you do have to look at margins coming down, but still having healthy profits uh, going forward. But, you know... I think my sentiment is that these uh, car companies keep on coming out with solid results. And even with uh, pessimism, sometimes they keep on surprising to the upside. Uh, Alex, what's your sentiment on a counter like CMH? Look, I mean, as Africans, got a very poor savings culture and we like to keep up the Joneses. So I guess demand <laughs> for vehicles will always be there, regardless <laughs> of the economy. Um, but yeah, this was a record set of results, uh, no doubt about that. And uh, as Ron alluded to, the car division did specifically well. I think it's up 143% from EBIT perspective. Yeah. And that's very material because that business got substantially higher margins than the actual traditional retail motor business. So that means that they can keep that market share, which is predominantly because they are tied to SAFE. Remember, so when Kame went bust, um, you know, some likes of Europe car and so forth lost out some market share. So that's just mm. theoretically gained market share they can sustain. So that is the case, then the car division should have high margins, uh, um, should have high market share going forward and as a result, perhaps a slightly higher overall earnings profile for CMH compared to its recent history. But uh, it is a cyclical business, as Ronald alluded to, so there will be some form of normalization, you have to think, uh, in the near term. But even if margins, in our view, normalizes to about 4.5% or so, you know, that will still put the valuation, you know, in a region of a P of about 7 you don't think, you know, that's probably fair for the business. Um, so if the normalization happens slowly, then there's still perhaps some upside. But I think the business is relatively well positioned. You should see also much stronger cash earnings in H2. Um, and this is a business that generates very high free cash flows. So those free cash flows will get a good dividend and theoretically even possibly um, share buybacks in the future, etc. And also they're going to launch Proton now soon. I think they've started opening now in September. Uh, we know how successful Halval has been in South Africa and Cherry. 
mm-hmm. Proton is also going for that same market and you know they have failed in the past but they're more comfortable they can be successful this time trends to be seen but if they are successful it'll be also a nice growth area for, for CMA so I'm ready to constructive on a business at these levels I think it's attractively valued and yeah. uh, I still think they can actually have a grow the earnings over the next six to 12 months Solid performance from the new car sales unit, but then, as I mentioned earlier, pressure on the used cars. Uh, Rowan, I mean, how are you looking at the dynamics between the new car sales um, segment compared to used cars right now? Yeah, so I guess you do have to look at overall car demand. So there have been uh, supply shortages due to the semiconductor shortages, um, and that's uh, impacted the whole supply chain. And uh, so the demand for the second-hand cars has increased, and that's why uh, the prices have been uh, so so rich. So you can expect them to actually come down as supply, new car supply normalizes, and uh, some of those new used cars prices will come back down and normalize. And I guess that's one of the reasons that there's pressure there. But I guess what they'll lose on the used car sales, they should pick up uh, in volumes on the new car sales. So that's why I'm saying you have to look over at overall car demand um, and they can substitute so as long as they pick up demand in, in one area if they're losing it in another they still still should uh, be okay and, and um, as Alex pointed out some of these entry-level brands I think they are getting good traction the quality has improved dramatically and uh, it's it is a very well-run business they look after costs uh, very carefully and uh, so I think they will continue to deliver and uh, there'll be one of the yeah, better mm-hmm. place in the, in the space for sure all right there's a question here. Please identify three screaming buys on the JSC. Alex, what's screaming for you right now? Three buys. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it's um, look, this African market, I think, is certainly um, attractively valued. But we know, of course, we've got structural issues with our, with our economy as well as the very weak global environment. So even though valuations are very compelling, it might, it might even get cheaper or we might have to be very patient to make good returns. So... But I think there are quite a few opportunities spread from large caps all the way to, to small caps. Um, you know, if you think of a large cap boring type of business, I think the banks are looking quite attractive. Uh, some like a Sunlam I mentioned earlier, those are quite attractive. Won't necessarily shoot the lights up, I think it's good entry points for quality businesses over medium term. I think for the mid cap space, there are lots of quality businesses there. You know, something like my stock pick, which will come to a bit later, is the small cap side, but also famous brands. Uh, I think it's a business that's well positioned for recovery. The uh, the talent gaming sector, I think, is, is quite attractive there. It's, you know, something like a Sun International, for example, I still think looks quite good. Um, you know, home in a small cap space, the capital appreciation, I think, is very, very cheap, strong balance sheet, good, good, good organic growth uh, potential. So there are numerous options, I would say, in the market at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, but you need some patience and you need to be able to say, listen, uh, things might get cheaper, but you need to start buying now and buy perhaps in increments um, mm. going forward. All right. Rowan, what's screaming its lungs out for you on the JSC? Three buys. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think uh, we've followed a similar vein to Alex. I mean, they are looking like attractive entry points, but uh, prices still could come down just as risk aversion uh, increases and we take a cue from sort of US and global markets. But uh, in the big cap space, we like the banks. I think they they structurally sound. They've uh, um, improved their balance sheets. Uh, they're in a good risk space. Rising rates is actually a tailwind for them uh, until you see a change in the credit cycle. But they've been very conservative. So, ABSA, 
looks particularly good there. And then, yeah, there are smaller cap businesses, I think, very well run. Um, the particular sector is seeing good um, secular growth demand, and uh, that's not going to change with sort of maybe a hiccup in, in, in short-term economic growth prospects. So Carp agree on the agricultural side looks actually very cheap and, and, and uh, a nice dividend yield. And then Advertech on the private education side, good, good entry points. I mean, these shares be moving sideways or going down as they've been growing earnings and uh, strong dividend yields underpinning your investment. So, so I think for the medium term, you, you, you will get decent returns. Mm. All right. Uh, talking about a counter that has had decent returns is Tungela. There's a question here. Tungela was the darling of stocks. After the dividend payout, it seems it's lost its momentum. Do you think it's tanking because of the uh, coal price or due to the strike? Alex? Well, it's a combination of both of those. So obviously, the transit strike has had an impact on our ability to export. That also means that some of our companies, our countries are looking to buy might be sourcing from different places because we don't have reliable export ability, capability in South Africa. So that is a concern. Um, also, the coal price has been slightly under pressure as well because, you know, seeing, for example, a country like Germany has sourced enough gas, for example, and so forth. But saying on all of that, I still think um, the coal price is going to remain relatively resilient might be volatile. Um, I'm not saying it's going to hit new record highs or so forth, but I think it's going to remain better for Brazil. And the Gela is, you know, if you look at from a free, the way it's valuation at the moment, it's, it's so cheap from an EBITDA perspective or free cash flow perspective that if, you know, coal prices just remains in a ballpark for this period, you know, you should still get a very, very good uh, dividend valuation, still very compelling. Um, but risks are certainly high now holding together than it was, you know, a few months ago. The easy money has certainly been made. Um, so you have to be very cautious, look at the fundamentals very closely, and uh, you know, speak for yourself. You know, this is more of a short-term type of investment case, I would say. But even though I'm relatively constructive on call, mm. um, let's call it short to medium term. Rowan, why did the markets punish pick and pay so much today? They came out with results that looked pretty good. Headline earnings up almost 60%, uh, turnover double digits. Yet the markets were so unhappy, the share price was down almost 10% at some point. Yeah, so I think you have to look at the run-up uh, from the uh, trading statement that came out uh, that preempted the results. I think the share was up uh, up to 16%. So it had been primed for um, these results and obviously potential for disappointment, which I guess was demonstrated today. I think the issue was that even though these results uh, were, were solid, They've indicated that um, the second half and FY23 is going to be more challenging as the significant uh, investment rollout, the Ekuseni project in terms of uh, refurbishing stores, uh, rebranding stores and uh, expanding uh, the boxer chain is actually going to impact earnings and coupled also with some cost pressures, uh, particularly as a result of load shedding and uh, the, the need to, to run these uh, generators um, and burn diesel is actually impacting margins. And uh, so I think that taken all together, the actually the near-term earnings outlook is not that rosy. Uh, they said it will really start to kick off in FY24. So, and I guess markets aren't that patient. And uh, so, yeah, it, I guess uh, participants just reevaluating the, the sort of medium or near-term prospects and, and uh, yeah, uh, trading it accordingly. Um. 
I know that leading up to uh, the results, there had been some uh, concerns from investors uh, where they had said that Pick and Pay needs to start reporting Boxer separately so that investors can kind of see uh, uh, in what position the, the, the pick and pay brand is at. Alex, um, they did that uh, for the first time now. Has that changed anything for you in terms of how you're looking at those results? Uh, certainly. I mean, I think investors always look for more disclosure. Mm. I think you're really seeing investors also look for more disclosure now, specifically on the top end. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be patient. I think um, the box of disclosure is quite good. I mean, you know what they're trying to do, they're looking to double the store base then and the sales base. Yeah. Um, box is, is a quality business and it makes sense when I grow it. Um, over the top end, um, the growth rate was, I think, 4 or 5%. Yeah. And it also includes pick and pay clothing, right? Mm -hmm. So it probably tells you that the actual food business um, is struggling and probably losing market share. Yeah. And so that's why more disclosure is probably required there to get a sense of what, where exactly that business is and where it needs to go. Um, also, to add to what Rowan said, yes, they've got some short-term issues and so forth, but the other problem is now you need to buy the longer-term longer story, and if that comes execution risk, right? So the story sounds on paper very in, um, positive, what they're trying to achieve, but we know the economy is very weak. Mm. We've got all of these issues regarding um, security, load shedding, riots, etc. So it makes execution very difficult, and they're going to spend a lot of money doing it as well. So it's, it's certainly not a, a low-risk investment considering what they're trying to achieve, as well as the valuation really paying for the business in a weak economy. Mm. But if they can succeed, growing revenue at 10% for the next five years compounded with, you know, earning um, net margins about 3%, it could be compelling, but it's no foregone conclusion. And I think investors is perhaps a little bit more side of cautious. Um, uh, because. All right. Well, let's get to your stock picks for tonight. Rowan, what will it be? So we're going with uh, Rainage, uh, which um, really has been uh, significantly impacted by the concerns about the UK economy. Uh, really, their largest investment is now Penscorp, uh, which essentially insures uh, pensions in uh, uh, the UK. And obviously, the impact of uh, the, the bond market and bonds and the yields does have an impact on that business. It's essentially an insurance business. But what you've seen is the, uh, the, the Rainage share price sell of way more than actually implied value of that business and the discount NAV is around 50%. They're still busy with the share buyback. They do own other assets, uh, British uh, American Tobacco, still a large asset in the portfolio. So, and we do think, yeah, the, the, the rot of the sort of disaster of the UK policy has been reversed, but the share price hasn't reflected that of, of yet. So there's some residual risk sort of there, which uh, uh, leads to, yeah, attractive returns at, at these levels. Yeah, all right. Alex, on your side? Yeah, I'm going for Grinrod. So for me, it's it's more about value unlock. The easy money has been made in Grinrod, but it's still to be made in my view. So now, of course, Grinrod Bank, that sell one and a half billion is going to go through now on the 1st of November. Um, but also the, the rim ground bundling has perhaps caused some forced selling, which has put the share price a little bit under pressure. But think about Grinrod, they're still well positioned uh, for growth. I mean, obviously, they're going to benefit from a failure of state infrastructure and SA. You know, specifically when it comes to private sector participation and, and public terminals, as well as potential and, and rail, you know, and also they've got, so they've got a lot of initiatives now to grow the business organically from this mm -hmm. base. And if you look, if you look at the valuation of Grinnell compared to some other ports and terminal businesses in Africa and so forth, it looks very, very cheap, you All know, right. and, it's, and theoretically they could also be a takeover target at some stage in my view. So I think um, it's got a strong balance sheet, 
it's got good organic growth potential and who knows added benefit would be a potential acquisition target down the line yeah all right well thank you very much gentlemen for your time and your analysis today thanks to my guest alex days from umtombo wealth and rowan williams from nitrogen fund managers julieta is back with Stockwatch tomorrow same time same place have a good evening <laughs>